Blog Talk Radio. Dr. Ross Green here, coming to you live, as always, from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine. Uh, I am joined by my co-host, Susie Porton, who's up there in the hinterlands of upstate New York. Y'all getting snow today, Susie? Uh, not yet. Oh, how are you? I'm uh, good. Um Running on fumes by the end of the year, as always, but always happy to do this program. And, um, well, always happy to do the phone number with you, which is um, something we do very well together. So are you ready? Ready. If you want to call in, the number is 347-994-2981. Please press 1. Believe it or not, we have a caller already. Shall we Fabulous. see what we've yep. got going on here? Yeah. Sure. Uh, I don't know how this person's calling in because the phone number is showing up kind of strangely, but you're on the air. What's up today? Hi. Good morning, Dr. Green. Can you hear me? I can, and you've got Susie on the line with you, too. Hello. Well, hello, Susie. I'm actually I'm calling from Europe, so it's 5 o'clock in the afternoon for me. But my Got it. Have you had a good <laughs> day? <laughs> um, and my son goes to a um, an American Department of Defense school here in Europe. And so I, I just wanted to call first to thank you so very much for all of your help. Um, I can't tell you how... How grateful I am to have found you. My son is uh, five, and he just started kindergarten and was just recently diagnosed with ADHD. And um, the school year started off quite difficult, but thank goodness with the explosive child and lost in school, it's been very helpful, at least for me at home, to get a handle on some of the problems that I'm hearing from the administrative staff as well as from the teacher but also be able to come around to my son and have conversations with him. Um, I have a long list of the ALSEP for my son at school already, just from the teacher and from my son. Um, but my question today is just to look for a little bit more guidance from you um, to help me prepare for the IEP. Uh, we, <clears throat> excuse me, haven't had, um, we had, we, we have yet to have the eligibility meeting, um, and then we're going to have the IEP meeting. And I'm just trying to um, get a gauge on how I can best make sure that CPS is in there. Do you think you might be able to help me with that? Oh, boy, yes. <laughs> so here's here's where things are heading these days. First of all, and I've been promising this for about five months now, but we are as close as we can possibly be to having a CPS-flavored IEP posted on the Lives in the Balance website. An IEP that would written be wonderful. so that CPS is being incorporated into the kid's plan. 
Here's the big problem with the way IEPs are frequently done. First of all, um, it sounds like you may be concerned about the eligibility issue. Are you reasonably certain yes. that um, your son's going to be eligible? I believe so. From speaking to other parents whose sons have been, he's have, been having challenging behavior, um, and from other folks who are at this school um, who have similar experiences, they, they have gotten an IEP. Got it. But I don't know. So I'm not sure. Let's assume, let, let's assume that you're able to make a compelling case for an IEP. But let's back it up a second. Do you know, right. I mean, having an IEP in hand is, is, is a piece of paper. What are you hoping right. to get for your son by virtue of having an IEP? What is he not getting now in terms of special services that you hope an IEP will get him? Because I see many parents go into the process feeling like getting an IEP is the goal. When the reality is getting your son help he needs that is above and beyond what he's getting now is the goal. And the IEP is merely memorializing the help he's going to be getting. And the key part here is that he needs. So having an IEP is one thing. What are you hoping to get with the IEP? That's an excellent question. I, I know you don't need me to tell you this, but you have such a good way of asking questions and making such insalient points at the same time. I've been around the block a few um, times. It, it sounds like it. Um, actually, what I'm, my ultimate goal is to try and get to the heart of his, as you mentioned, always with the explosive child. My son is having some very um, predictable problems and difficulties at school that have been happening since the beginning of, um, since the first two weeks of school that he started kindergarten. And I've filled them out in the ALSUP. I've brought them up in emails to the counselors, to the teachers, at the parent-teacher conference. I said, it sounds like he has this lagging skill and he's having difficulty getting in line. Um, from recess, he's having difficulty staying with his hands to himself on the carpet. And um, what I'm trying to get from the IEP is hopefully um, more help with the CPS model, I guess, to try and find a solution to these predictable problems because I haven't been achieving at home or speaking to the teacher. I haven't been get, getting past really the empathy step. Um, to find some workable solutions to these predictable problems that are happening at school. Got it. You're looking for the school to do CPS. Yes. Um, that can be interesting because often schools can't write into the IEP a particular treatment program, I'm told, but here's the good news. The needs in the IEP. If you've if they've if you've got the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems completed, then the yeah. needs are the lagging skills. 
And if you've got the unsolved problems section completed, that's the goals. And so two of the hardest parts of the IEP are written for you if you've done the ALSIP. And this CPS-flavored IEP that we'll be posting on the Lives in the Balance website, boy, I hope we get it up there uh, in the next week or two. Um, I thought we'd have it up there next week, but we couldn't quite, couldn't quite accomplish the mission. Um, so the needs and the goals are done for you just by having the ALSA completed. Is one of you having a um You know what? I'll take care down? of it. Yeah, it's on my side. Sorry. <laughs> Susie's famous for either you having You don't have to know where I am. It would only be trees. a leaf blower. Right. There you go. Um, so I think that they may decide, you know, we'll have to see if you're going to get an IEP out of this. If you want them to oh, solve problems collaboratively with your son, they might feel more comfortable writing that into a 504 plan. Either way, okay. you want to just make sure that it happens. <laughs> right. Is that better? You want to make sure that they're solving that long list of unsolved problems with your son using the collaborative and proactive solutions approach. That's what you're looking for. Right. And whatever right. document memorializes that they will do that is the document you're looking for. Right. IEPs tend to be for whether special services are needed from special education. And in many instances, you don't need special education to be the people who are solving problems collaboratively with your son. In fact, the ideal person would be his classroom teachers. Yes. That's not special ed. That's just, here's how I'd like problems to be solved with my kid. Here's how I'd like them to be identified. Here's how I'd like them to be solved. I'd like a progress report on how that's going. Um, whether you need an IEP for that or not, I don't know. You, you might want to go with the guidance of the folks at school to let you know if they would feel more comfortable memorializing that in an IEP. The same information, lagging skills and unsolved problems, that complete, could complete the needs and goals section of an IEP could also be incorporated into a 504 plan. Bottom line is, you want people solving problems with your kid, and you want them to do it collaboratively and proactively. Yes. Do I have it right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You may not need an IEP for that. Now, in many places, ADHD qualifies a kid for an IEP under the other health-impaired categorization, so if you're dying for an IEP, you could probably get one, but it doesn't sound like you're dying for an IEP. It sounds like you're dying for problems to be solved with your son collaboratively and proactively at school. If that's the case... Absolutely, that's it. Yes. You want the piece of paper that's going to accomplish the mission, whatever the school tells you it is. You're right. You're right. So I, so I, I assume there's not much else I can do besides continuing to... Um, share the ALSIP that I compiled 
and welcoming any additional information, I guess, before well, this, this meeting, it sounds like. The tricky part is that you've compiled the information about unsolved problems at school as, I hate to put it this way, an outsider. You're, you're not, yes. you're hearing about it from yes. your son, but if the school was willing to sit down and um, with you to participate in the process of figuring out lagging skills and unsolved problems, my bet is that you would gather, my, my bet is that they might talk about lagging skills that you might not have checked off and they might identify right. unsolved problems that you're not even aware of. So the more collaborative this becomes as quickly as possible, the better. Do you, right. what's your sense of the degree to which you think the school is likely, do you think the school is going to be receptive to this? I think everyone has um, um, an open mind. However, I'm not sure how quickly things will move. Um, I've distributed your book to, you know, the counselor, the psychologist. I offered it to the teacher who said she didn't have enough time um, for reading on the side. Um, the behaviorist, I've offered it. Everyone was open to receiving a copy of your book. Um, and I'm, with the teacher, I'm trying to take baby steps. Um, since she didn't really want to get the book, I, I'm, I'm trying to um, take a casual, well, a more slower approach. I don't want to scare her away. Um, I keep mentioning the model, and I keep giving examples um, of how it's working at home. Um, but I haven't gone full out and like sent her a bunch of links or sent her a completed al, you know, and besides the completed ALSAP, just to. But I don't even think she read it, you know. So, so I guess the answer is they're open, but I'm not know. sure how quickly it's going to go. Yeah. Right. So. You know, it's tricky because I'm not sure that even if you got an IEP, I'm not sure that the IEP process, m many people, and I'm not saying this is you, but many parents who, many of whom are even more frustrated with the school than you are, um, mm -hmm. feel that the best way to force the school to do something is by getting them to write an IEP filled with things that the school is not on board with doing in the first place. <laughs> right. That's how a lot of very frustrated parents try to go about doing this. And um, I don't know if you're at that point yet. It sounds to me like you're at the point of introducing the model to them and hoping that right. they will participate, right? Right. And by the way, right. if they need Absolutely. help... They need help learning about it, even if it's only for an hour. I have lots of certified providers who'd be happy to get on a Skype call with them to introduce them to the model and um, let them know what it's about and hopefully be very persuasive in terms of the degree to which it could be helpful to your son. So it's not like – so I don't want to think of the IEP process as the end-all and be-all as it relates to helping them move in the direction you'd like them to move in. Um, in fact, right. often that turns adversarial more than helpful. Um, and so um, I know you have an IEP meeting impending, 
but I wouldn't view the IEP process as the way to make them do something that they're not on board with. Not, not that I think you were, but I know many parents view it sure. that way. Let's not view it that way. Let's keep this collaborative. No. Let's introduce them to yep. the model. If you need help, I've got folks who can help you. And let's um, see if we can get them on board without, um, and, and see how they think the fact that they'll be doing this should be memorialized. And whether that's a 504 or an IEP, um, you know what? I'm good either way, believe it or not. I am too. I just want, I just want solutions. I really don't care how we it. get there. Yep. At least painful way um, possibly. <laughs> right. Let's see if we can make this happen for you. What country are you in? I'm in Spain. Got it. Well, Let's see if we can make it happen for you in Spain without me having to pull my very primitive knowledge of the Spanish language out of the hat. <laughs> that would not be helpful. That would be so welcome. Good. Let's, let's see how they respond to you introducing it to them. Contact us right. through the Lives in the Balance contact form if you want to see if I can get somebody set up for you to talk with the folks at school. We're happy to be as helpful you. as you need us to be. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You bet. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, this is cool that we're getting calls from Spain now, yes? Absolutely. Sounds like the IEP process in Spain doesn't differ so dramatically from the IE process here in the good old U.S. of A., you're so right. And it's unpleasant sometimes here in the good old U.S. of A. Okay, it looks like we do not have another caller at the moment. That number again is 347-994-2981. Let's go to the email, unless there's something that you wanted to cover today that we usually do before we start. Got anything on your mind? Um, actually, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who's been trying Plan B, and she talked to me about a problem that she was having with her teenage son and his use of the computer. His screen time was affecting his ability to complete his homework. When she brought the unsolved problem up to him, they had some pretty heated arguments. The conversation my friend and her son had been having had all occurred in the middle of his computer time and needed, and his homework needed to be done. My conversation with her reminded me that there are some situations when you're in the moment and the kids usually don't have the skills to deal with an unsolved problem in the moment. So I suggested to her that it might be useful to pick a quiet time and make an appointment go back to the model, and use the three Plan B steps. I also explained emergency plans B and C and Plan C. She thought it was a good idea and wanted to give it a try. Um, but, Dr. Green, do you have any thoughts on this situation, and particularly emergency plan B? Emergency plan B is, as always, not the ideal timing. Mm -hmm. The only time I think of emergency plan B as being a good idea is in those fairly rare cases in which 
the kid can't remember the unsolved problem when people are trying to talk about it proactively and therefore can't provide us with any information in the empathy step of plan B. Otherwise, um, and in the vast majority of cases, we are in much better shape if plan B is proactive. Now, I don't know if that answers the question, but if it didn't, mm -hmm. let me know. Uh, no, it did, actually. Um, any announcements you wanted to make? Well, there are a bunch. Um, there are two uh, special evening workshops for parents coming up. People can find those in the What's New section of the Lives in the Balance website. One is in Toronto at the Hinks Delcrest Center downtown this Thursday night. And this Thursday night is December 8th. And uh, on the What's New page, people can see the phone number that they should call to register, but it's 416-924-1164. And there's one in Auburn, Maine on January 30th. I think that's a Monday night if I'm remembering right. And they can find a link for the registration form there on the What's New section as well. They can also find those links in the resources section on the workshops and training page. All the information is there as well. Now, another announcement. Live in the Balance is now sponsoring five-week teleconference CPS skill enhancement courses. At the moment, these are just for educators and clinicians, and people can find information about that also in the resources uh, section of the Lives in the Balance website on the training workshops training page. But if we can get everything squared away, we're going to be doing those for parents as well. Fabulous. And if you're a parent and you would like to participate in a skill enhancement course, they're not free, but they're a heck of a lot cheaper then the certification training that I do, like about a fifth of the price, there's a place they can start emailing Liz Rudman, who's overseeing the administration for the skill enhancement courses, at Liz at LivesInTheBalance.org. So Liz, L-I-Z, at LivesInTheBalance.org. Um, people have also been asking about the summits for next year. The annual summit this year, I think, was probably our best ever. Um, mm -hmm. And we're going to be doing it in Portland, Maine again next year. But we're also going to be doing a school mental health summit in Massachusetts next year. And the dates for those will be up on the website as soon as we get the dates finalized. And the dates of the second annual European summit will be up on the Lives in the Balance website um, shortly as well. Lives in the Balance has two school mental health summits coming up in Canada uh, next year, one in Toronto, one in Saskatchewan, in uh, Saskatoon, I believe. Um, and those are in the spring. People can find those on the workshops training page of the Lives in the Balance website. And 
the advanced training that is co-sponsored by Lives and the Balance every summer in Portland, Maine. The registration for that is now up on the Lives and the Balance website, as well as registration for two advanced trainings that are going to be in Sweden next year. Boy, there's a lot going on at Lives and the Balance. Did you have anything that you wanted to add? Uh, no, just uh, it's wonderful, everything that Lives in the Balance is doing. Just fantastic. We've got a lot going on, and that barely scratches yeah. the surface. Let's take a look at our – let me make sure we haven't done any callers. We don't. So here's the first email of the day. Mm-hmm. I'm using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems to identify lagging skills and unsolved problems for my 14-year-old son. Having a hard time writing unsolved problems for lagging skills having to do with the chronic inflexibility, inaccurate interpretations, chronic anxiety, and black and white thinking. I think I'm trying to address things that have happened in the past but still have lingering consequences. My son holds grudges toward people that he perceives have wronged him in the past. He is unable to forgive them or to move on. And it winds up costing him in terms of maintaining relationships with others who have a better ability to see both sides of the story. Sometimes he revisits an incident long after it happened and everyone else has moved on. If the event happened a while ago, but he still has unsolved problems because it's impacting his current relationships, how can this be worded without mentioning behavior? Here's an example. A boy at his school last year made fun of him in front of a group of mutual friends. My son responded back with some nasty comments himself. The other boy demanded my son apologize. My son refused until the other boy apologized. The other boy felt he did nothing wrong. Some of the kids who witnessed it took the other boy's side. He is popular. Those who didn't take sides advised my son to just apologize and get it over with. Eventually, they both apologized, but my son continued to try to win people over to his side and to make comments about the other boy long after it happened. He thought it was very unfair how it played out. But in continuing to make comments about the boy, he alienated himself from everyone else. Now those people are mostly out of his life, but from time to time he'll engage with them to test the waters. And since they assume he's going to continue moaning, they ignore him. So the lagging skills are... Difficulty appreciating how his behaviors affect others, difficulty seeing how he has come across or being perceived by others, cognitive distortions and per perceptions of social nuances, but it is so far in the past, how do I address these lagging skills if it's not a problem right now, but is sort of a pervasive issue that we will revisit because he can't let it go? Great questions. And here are what I hope will be great answers. Mom, you are worrying a little bit too much about the link between lagging skills and unsolved problems. What you're primarily focused on when you're solving problems collaboratively and proactively is solving problems. The teaching of the skills happens more through osmosis or through practice and over time than it does because you are teaching the skills explicitly and directly. So you may not get concrete evidence of skills being acquired by your son in the realms that you mentioned until you've solved a bunch of unsolved problems 
that also seem to be related to those lagging skills. So let's not worry about the lagging skills for the time being as it relates to your efforts to solve this problem. Let's focus our efforts purely at the moment on problem solving. And we need to word the unsolved problem well, starting with the word difficulty. And generally speaking, what comes after the word difficulty is the verb that characterizes your expectation. And I can think of two ways to word this unsolved problem. Difficulty, forgiving. Uh, let's say the other kid's name is Brandon. Brandon, for the disagreement that occurred um, over the uh, name-calling. That's a good way to word the unsolved problem. And here's the interesting thing. Even though the event occurred a while back, the unsolved problem that he's having difficulty forgiving is still in the present. The other, other way you could word it is difficulty. Now here's the verb. Letting go of the incident that occurred with Brandon over name-calling in January. It's another way to word it. So you basically just have to decide of what your expectation is. Is it that he forgive or is he to let it go? And remember, your wording of the unsolved problem is primarily for getting the conversation going. A lot of plan Bs come to a grinding halt by mere virtue of the fact that the unsolved problem was poorly worded. So what we're talking about here is purely the wording of the unsolved problem so as to get the conversation going with your son. And to get that going, we're not, going to necess we're not talking about the past incident per se. We're talking about the expectation he's having difficulty meeting, which is that he's having difficulty forgiving and or difficulty letting it go. And that's probably how I would word those. So I wouldn't worry about the fact that it happened a while ago. He has unsolved problems now. And in neither case am I mentioning his challenging behavior in response to it. So I'm not saying difficulty not talking to other kids to test the waters about what happened with Brandon and the name calling way back when. What we're putting after the word difficulty is your expectation. And I'm taking a leap here, but I think your expectation is that he either forgive and or that he let it go. Susie, anything to add to that? That's a great uh, question. Yes, it is. Um, by getting the conversation going with her son, um, her son sees her as an ally and you're doing something with your son, not to your son, um, you're solving chronic problems that have been causing challenging behavior for a very long time. Um, it's just, and and remember, it might take more than one conversation to to get the job done. Your first, you know, solution doesn't always um, pass the litmus test of uh, solving the problem that frequently I know I found um, with our 
children. I had to go back to the Plan B drawing board several times before we worked out a mutually satisfying solution that addressed both parties' concerns. There we go. I hope that's helpful. Let's move on to another email. This one says, I really appreciate the time you are taking to read this message. The Lives in the Balance website was suggested by my son's counselor, and I'm new to all of this. I really struggle with my son's behavior, but more so by the issue of his lack of empathy and remorse. I wonder if children who exhibit quote-unquote signs of a quote-unquote mental illness, maybe a personality disorder, are handled differently, or if you've seen this work even if there is mental illness present. I haven't witnessed anything work internally with my son, as in internal desire to please, to do well, to reach goals, to please others, or even to avoid punishment. I'm very concerned. My ex-husband and I are planning on implementing, on using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems as soon as possible with him, so it may make some progress with him. I guess I'm really asking if there's a different approach you'd suggest if the child is exhibiting signs of a mental illness. I appreciate your feedback and advice. Well, here goes. Um, there are personality disorders, especially antisocial personality disorder, what some people call sociopathy, that um, are characterized by a lack of empathy. You haven't told us how old your son is. Personality disorders typically aren't diagnosed until a kid is about 16 years old. And um, personality disorders, antisocial personality disorder may have a list of criteria on it that you feel do characterize your son. You'd know better. But if we're looking at helping a kid be more empathic, uh, I think Plan B is the way to do it. Because in the second step of Plan B, the Define Adult Concerns step, which is where the other party in a disagreement is entering his or her concerns into consideration, um, your son has to practice listening to somebody else's concerns, appreciating how his behavior is affecting other people, taking another person's perspective, all ingredients that are crucial to this really important skill called empathy. You listed some others, um, desire to please, to do well, to reach goals, to avoid punishment. Here's the good news about CPS. He won't have to avoid punishment when he's participating in CPS because CPS doesn't involve punishment, nor does it involve uh, tangible rewards. The tricky part with your son is we don't know anything about him, so all we can tell you is how the model might apply to him. But I sure have worked with a lot of kids who appeared not to have a desire to please other people, to do well, to reach goals, to avoid punishment. And once I learn about them and their histories, it becomes crystal clear that they may not have been born that way, but that those characteristics have come together over time 
due to experiences in which the kid was not experiencing great success and had lots of unsolved problems that remained unsolved. When lots of unsolved problems remain unsolved, people do become alienated, kids do become disenfranchised, kids do feel marginalized, and some of the characteristics that you are mentioning um, fit right into that pattern. So I wouldn't be too quick on the personality disorder diagnosing, whether that's going to give you information about your son that you don't already have. I guess you'll find out, but I doubt it. Um, the ALSEP is not going to make progress with him. The ALSEP is going to help you identify lagging skills and unsolved problems so you can start solving those problems and start to make problems with him, uh, st- progress with him. Um, I'm a skeptic on the word mental illness. As Susie knows well, I am not a big fan of the term. I prefer to refer to the difficulties people have in life as problems in living. Sounds like your son is definitely having problems in living. And according to the CPS approach, the best way to help him with his problems in living are to identify his lagging skills and unsolved problems and get to work on solving those problems. And yes, you can do that even if he's been diagnosed with a personality disorder. And yes, you can do that even if a mental illness diagnosis has been applied to him. There's my two cents. Susie, anything to add? (laughs) Uh, Yes. I just wanted to say what I love about the model is that you don't pathologize the kid, that it's a family problem, as you just said. Um, And the model works for everyone, no matter what the uh, challenges are. It's an opportunity to help one to understand all human beings better. And I just wanted to invite the person who wrote in to uh, please call in next month and maybe we could better help them. I think that's a great idea. I think we have time for one more email, maybe two. Let's see. We won't rush it. This one says, we have an 11-year-old daughter with significant behavior issues and extreme anger. She has ADHD and takes medicine for it. Her behavior at school is fine. She struggles with learning issues and is behind academically, but her behavior is okay. However, at home, the behavior is out of control. The simplest of requests, from time for homework to come have dinner to bedtime or told we can't have a play date today, is met with anger and rage. Will she be helped by CPS? Because punishment and reward do not work. We don't understand how she can comply at school and not at home. Well, it is actually a pretty typical pattern for kids to be pretty compliant at home and, excuse me, at school and not at home. That's not an unusual scenario. Um, And we did a program on that very topic um, on November 14th. So, Mom, if you go to the listening library on the Lives in the Balance website, you'll see that the November, the recent programs, you'll see that the November 14th program is called Angelic at School, Explosive at Home, What Gives? 
and you're going to get a ton of information about that because I think we actually spent a meaningful amount of our discussion time on that topic that day. So I'm going to refer you to that program for why she might be compliant at school but not at home. But there's one part, I, well, a few parts I want to emphasize just as the highlights from that program. First of all, um, many kids don't want to embarrass themselves at school, and so they keep themselves very tightly wrapped at school and then decompensate when they get home. That's a fairly common scenario, especially for the kids who are um, angelic at school and um, not so angelic at home. But a lot of kids, I'm bringing up this part because you mentioned it, most ADHD medicines are daytime medicines. Um, if you take stimulant medication too late in the day, it's going to keep you awake at night. So there's a lot of ADHD kids out there who are angelic at school and difficult at home because at school they are benefiting from the medicine and at home, well, uh, there's the rebound effect or at the very least the kid's not on the medicine. So it's almost like there's two different kids. Uh, there's the medicated kid and the unmedicated kid and the unmedicated kid is mostly at home because the kid's not medicated at home. So those are two big reasons why a kid might look uh, angelic at school and not so much at home. Those are just two answers to what gives. Um, but will she be helped by CPS because punishment and reward do not work? There's one big reason that I created the CPS approach, and that's because in many, many of the kids that I was working with way back in the day when I used to be a reward and punishment guy, what was I finding? that for many of the kids that I was working with, rewarding and punishing wasn't working. And in some instances, was making things worse. And in many instances, was actually precipitating massive meltdowns. Well, that's not, that's not my definition of helping. That's not the goal of intervention. We're not looking to make things worse. And in some kids, it was making things worse. That's why the CPS model exists because as a former reward and punishment guy, well, I wanted something for the kids for whom rewarding and punishing wasn't working. Susie, did you use rewarding and punishing on your explosive child way back when he was an explosive child? And how well did that go? It didn't go well at all, Dr. Green. In fact, it made everything worse. There were um, terrible physical battles that occurred because we tried to keep him in his room as punishment. And as he grew older and bigger, um, he was actually stronger than his father. Um, as I've said before, um, I think you've mentioned it in The Explosive Child that you never stop to think that the message will never get through, that punishment and rewards don't teach lagging skills or solve problems, and that's why it doesn't work. Well, um, the goal is not to make things worse. There are kids who respond to incentives, um, in many instances, and the research tells us this, and many parents have, of course, spoken about this, um, rewarding and punishing 
gives them some improvement quickly, but often isn't durable over time. Now, that's, of course, an issue that we are continuing to look at in research when kids acquire problem-solving skills rather than just responding to incentives, do they do well more durably? We'll have to keep everybody appraised of that research as time goes on. Of course, all the research on the CPS model is in the research section of the Lives in the Balance website. People can access that anytime they want. On that note, I think it's time for us to call it a day. Susie, thank you as always for participating in the program. Well, my pleasure. And um, my impression, let's see if I can get this up here quickly enough. Let's see if my Internet will cooperate here. I think the first Monday in January, now that we are doing this monthly, is January 2nd, which is the observance of New Year's Day. So it looks like the radio program will be on January 9th, our next one. Sound like a plan? It does. Talk then and take care. Have a great holiday. Thank you.